The cheetahs are going to Holly. Wait, what did he say? Bollywood. India? Bollywood? The movie-making capital of the world? India, India? The other side of the world, India? I'm positive I said that we'd be shooting the movie in Mumbai. In my defense, I don't actually know where Mumbai is. Welcome to Authorized Crumbs, an anemic concept in which we, two hosts in our 30s, look at at novelizations meant for children and say, you know what? I didn't like that. (laughs) (laughs) Laughing at my own writing. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's good. I liked it. Cravenly stalling for time as we read 10 new full-length novelizations for your sick entertainment. Crumbs are a way to keep the light on while also telling 10-year-olds that the things they like are dumb and bad. <laughs> it's kind of true. I mean, 10-year-olds are supposed to not like, they're not supposed to like good things. Wait, maybe the, I was maybe going to discuss this during the body of the episode, but it fits here. Mm-hmm. For the listener, our <clears throat> choice to make a lot of the crumbs like a junior novelization is maybe not a choice that you're going to see recur in future <laughs> interseason uh spans because for the most part like when we were reading junior novelizations during the main seasons we would stumble upon ones like the sixth sense or shanghai nights where it was like wow this has a kind of an interesting amount of artistry to it and the constraint makes it even more impressive we are not finding that doing no, not <laughs> all really. of these <laughs> and I think in general, the the crumb is stronger when it's like, hey, you know that property we read a novelization of? Here's something kind of related to that. Yeah, we've just done a season of crumbs that are not very good, but we've learned lessons. It's a journey that we're all on together. And also for the listener, there's like the crumbs are about to get really good in like two <laughs> weeks. We just recorded two that are essentially full length episodes. So you're cool. welcome. Yeah, you're welcome for a thing you haven't received yet. Yeah, in advance. You're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> we are your hosts, a loose coalition of two novelization enthusiasts. My name is Hannah Blackman. And my name is Andrew Overby. Just the us. Cheetah Girls, One World, is a 2008 Disney Channel original movie and the final film in the Cheetah Girls trilogy. The story follows three of the four Cheetah Girls as they find their new identity in the wake of Galleria leaving the group in pursuit of an undergraduate degree. Which, I guess, these three that remain aren't going to get one. Yeah, they are. Well, that's the thing. I don't have any judgment about it. Like, that is fine that they're... I mean, they're allowed, but it seems very clear that, like, Aqua is definitely going to college. But why did the timeline work out this way? Why is... Why is Galleria at Cambridge or Yale or wherever she went, and they're not in school? Galleria is at Oxford doing a summer program in advance of her freshman year. Wow. Okay. So we'll get to the incredible amount of time that's passed since I watched this movie (laughs) in in a moment. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, that aspect of the 
movie just confused me, but obviously Hannah's on top of it. The remaining Cheetah Girls trio is approached with an exciting opportunity and offered a star in the new Bollywood film, Namaste Bombay. Upon arrival in India, however, it's revealed that they are meant to compete against one another for the lead role. Can the underpinning of friendship win out over the egos and ambitious of these three chanteuses? Yes, everything is fine in the end. <laughs> the junior novelization of The Cheetah Girls' One World was written by Kristen Larson. It was published by Disney Enterprises Incorporated in 2008. Now, you may ask... You may. Who is Kristen Larson? And also, why is writing The Cheetah Girls' novelizations like having the Defense Against the Dark Arts job, <laughs> and no one ever does two in a row. Well, I have an answer for one of those questions. <laughs> Kristen Larson is a children's author best known for her book, Wood, Wire, and Wings. Emma Lillian Todd invents an airplane. This is a quote from a review. This riveting nonfiction picture book biography explores both the failures and successes of self-taught engineer Emma Lillian Todd as she tackles one of the greatest challenges of the early 1900s, designing an airplane. It seems like uh, Kristen Larson's thing is that she does like picture books that are also somewhat historically uh, enlightening because most recently she also published a book called a true wonder the comic book hero who changed everything which is a behind the scenes look at the creation and evolution of wonder woman through the years so kind of a cool little niche and then she said i want to buy a new car so i guess i'll write a, a little book for girl kids yeah, well, it is specifically like, oh, I tried to do one about the history of the airplane. That one didn't uh, bring in the bucks. Maybe I'll <laughs> do one about a DC superhero. That'll probably bring in a couple of bucks. <laughs> I think that might, uh, at the time, a year ago when it came out, I think that might have been a little zeitgeisty. That's Maybe. certainly passed by now. Oh, yeah. We'll never care about Wonder Woman again. <laughs> we'll never care about... Uh, a, a, a DC character's three-hour movie that we did an episode on, like, what, four weeks ago? <laughs> you know who's a real superhero, though? I'm ready. Who is Teenage it? Teenage singers. <laughs> Transition. Transition. Yeah, this is a good time to say <laughs> that it has been ages since we watched this movie and read this book, which is completely on me. Um, yep. Hannah, has this happened to you before? Which is like, I moved apartments, which isn't really the important detail. The important detail is that it like ruined me because mm -hmm. I won't go into the specifics, but I, I was very unprepared because certain things like fell through that I thought were going to happen. And so I was like very hurriedly being like, oh my God, I have a ton of moving to do that I didn't expect to do. Mm -hmm. And in the short term, it had this psychological effect on me where I was like incapable of doing anything like for uh -huh. about a week I was you didn't hear from me nobody yeah. like like I just disappeared I assumed you had died or hated me for something I wasn't aware I had done <laughs> right because for the listener Hannah's used to getting like 20 voice prompts from me a day which I love but also like I would text you like hey do you want to do cheetah girls soon or like hey how's it going and I would hear nothing <laughs> <laughs> Not even, like, so busy. Just, like, nothing for, like, a week. Yeah, it, it, I'm through that, and we've recorded <laughs> further authorized episodes since then, and they've been fun, and they've been good, but 
I have like reverted back to this college phase where now if I've like messed up something in the past, like I forgot to hand a paper in or something, Mm -hmm. I like can't do it. I can only focus on future things because Mm. I've like already banked that as a failure. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not Mm -hmm. good at managing shame, I think is a thing I've known about myself for a long time, actually. I understand completely. So just for the listener, this is we're we're counting this episode as a failure right off the bat. (laughs) But we did we did watch and read this. Uh, book and movie like a month ago. Yeah, and I refuse to let that be for nothing. What do you remember about this movie? What sticks out to you? The girls get hired to go be in a movie in Bollywood. They fly over there. The director is a cute young guy who's like trying to make his break. His uncle is a producer who's like very hard-lined and doesn't want to give him any money to make the movie the way he wants to make it. And then when his uncle realizes that he, the director whose name is Vic, has hired three girls instead of one, he's like, that's too expensive, pick one girl. And they decide to do auditions. In the meantime, Aqua has this like phone romance with like an IT guy who she learns oh, yeah. <laughs> lives in India. And they meet in real life and, like, fall in love. And it turns out he's basically a prince, actually, who's, like, working on the, like, IT helpline for fun, sort of. Right. Um, so they travel to Rajasthan, which is insane. They drive there. This is the thing that really stuck out to me reading the book, is that they drive there. <laughs> and they're like, it'll be fun. That's a 24-hour drive from Mumbai up <laughs> into Rajasthan. So, like, that's crazy. They spend, like, a full day in a car together and emerge and are like, we hate each other now. We're in competition. They all feel like the other people are, do- are like, leveraging stuff that they shouldn't be to get the role instead of, like, earnestly auditioning. Then they audition. Chanel gets the role, which is correct. She should. Right. Based on what we see <laughs> in the movie. But then... Chanel decides, no, no, I won't take this from my friends. My friendship is more important than fame. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make sure that the role goes to our dance choreographer, who is super cute and talented and should do it anyway, and is in love with the main guy who's going to star in the movie. So it's already like they have chemistry. Mm -hmm. And Chanel and Aqua and Dorinda just end up being like featured choral members in the movie. Like they still get to be in the movie. They just aren't the stars of the movie and it all works out and it's great. Yeah, so uh, that's maybe the aspect I forgot. There is just definitively someone that wins. Yes. 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 Okay. <laughs> Which is admirable, because I feel like, especially in a kid's movie, mm-hmm. there's a temptation to be like, we we found a way to make everyone happy in yes. the end. Um, I mean, it's rampant in, like, uh, not kid movies, too. I, I still remember when I was you know, in high school and I went to see Stranger Than Fiction, not the best movie to begin with, <laughs> that my friends and I were leaving it and they were like, oh yeah, I liked it, whatever. And I was like, no, it like, it broke a rule, which is that at the beginning, they were like, this character has to die. He knows he's going to die. He's like, he, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the movie, the, they're, they're just like, we changed it. He's fine. Sometimes breaking the rule is the point of the movie of like breaking out of your bad habits or whatever. Um, 
But I agree, like, in this case, if they did the audition and then the producer was like, you know what, you were right, all three of them are great. They all three get to lead in the movie. I'd be like, no, I think he, I don't, that doesn't feel in character to me. Doesn't it also feel like what would actually happen is the the uncle who's bankrolling it would be like, yeah, they can all be in the movie. They're splitting the salary that I had. Yeah, I mean, I would assume. Like, intended. But I think it's also like he's paying for like their hotel and their food and stuff. So yeah, yeah. For yeah, three yeah. people, that is going to cost more, even if you are paying them a third of what you would pay anyway. But they can't be getting paid that much because they're like unknowns in a movie by an unknown. <laughs> like, right. There's no way there's a heavy salary attached. But also, they aren't um, wanting for money. No. In any of these movies. They're not like, oh, we need to get the cash prize. That's important to us. Rather, it's we need the fame. We need the glory. We need. Yeah. There's a lot of lip service yeah. about how like Dorinda needs money, but then they never do anything to make sure she gets money. Right. Right. No, totally. She, <laughs> and she still gets to like go along on all the adventures. Everything should be like way higher stakes for her. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, Dorinda, th- this is something I remember about the film, mm-hmm. they go out of their way a few times to be like, the guy she fell for in Cheetah Girls 2, she and him didn't work out, and she has been affected by that greatly. Yeah, I knew you would like that. <laughs> I really liked it. You know me, I always like when in the next movie they have different arcs. Yes, and that the previous arcs have stuck and have meant yes. something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that arc in particular because it affects the way that she handles other things in the story. Mm-hmm. Like the two the the choreographer and the actor. I don't remember his name, but her name is Gita. Is that right? That sounds right. Like the the actor is like Dorinda, like help me woo this girl, and Dorinda's like, no, love is fake. It never works out. You shouldn't bother. I'm not gonna do that for you. Like that arc is so funny too, because for the listener, if you haven't watched the Cheetah Girls One World recently, <laughs> there's this actor uh, who's uh, apparently in a lot of Bollywood films, and he is super handsome, super charismatic. Everybody loves him, and. He has this choreographer that I assume that he works with often, uh, a woman that he has the hots for. But the funny thing about this plot is that she also super has the hots for him. So and much so that when they're in the same room looking at each other, they for become the first like time dummy idiots. In the movie, yes. The, the, when he enters at the beginning of the movie, all the Cheetah Girls are like, oh my God, he's so dreamy. And then he's such a bumbling fool around this choreographer that that one of them goes, actually, I think I'm over him. <laughs> yeah. I, will, I think that's such a funny plot where they're like, there is basically no conflict. The conflict <laughs> is two people want to smash. They're like so in love with each other and they we just need to help them speak to one another. Yeah, they're just, like, so... I mean, I understand when you like someone so much that you, like, can't actually interact with them in the way that would make them like you, too. Sure. I've been there. I get it. It's so funny to watch in a movie where, like, two very attractive, capable, competent people are like, oh, I'm falling over a table. Yes. Oh, God, I've dropped everything I was holding. <laughs> I do I do legitimately think that second dates are harder than first dates. How do you feel about this thought I've had? Because um, <clears throat> I think on a first date, I'm like... I don't know this person. They are nothing to me. Sure. And then on a second date, if I've chosen to go on a second date, I'm like, 
seems cool. And then I get nervous. Yeah, I think these days, if you are going out based on like a an app, you've already mm-hmm. had some interaction with this person. And you have a sense of whether you are into it or like you're just kind of going out to try it. So I, I do think first dates still have a little bit of like, Ooh, I'm excited or I'm not or whatever to right. them more than perhaps they did when you were like, oh, my brother has a friend and he said I should meet you at this restaurant at seven. And here we are having dinner. Like, right, right. The dating scene has changed so much. But I find that the not to make this our dating app episode, but <laughs> I, I I find that the interactions with people uh, in text are completely not representative of actual chemistry in any way. Oh, at for all. sure. Yeah. And so often you'll be like, I'm having fun. I'm laughing. This is good. And then you get together and you're like, we vocally, we don't have this down. Mm-hmm. This is I not do the feel back like and there's forth. There's um, a level of like texting compatibility uh, in an app. I'm like, well, I'll go out. I mean, I tend to be like, cool, we're, we have some level of texting compatibility. Let's meet up in person right away. Yes, like, totally. I, you know, so eh, it, it, whatever. I don't know. I don't like dating. I don't date anymore. I've given up completely on it. So Great. Someday I'll like meet someone uh, after I trip over a table and that will be that. Sure. So you think that because there's that news item about Nancy Myers getting a Netflix movie that like there's the, hope for love still, yeah. No, that like reality is gonna like sort of take a cue from that. Oh god, and that you're I gonna hope start so. having like meet cutes and stuff. I, you know, I've dated in my life, and my experience is that dating apps Bullshit. have been bad for me. <laughs> bad, bad, bad. <laughs> well, then I would say you are wrong. You don't know me that well. I have dated. <laughs> I think it's very helpful to be on like an app, and that your presence on the app is saying. I'm here looking for a specific thing. I mean, for sure. There's nothing worse than like meeting a friend of a friend and you're really heading it off and it's fun. And they're like, oh yeah, my girlfriend. And you're like, fuck, waste yeah. my time. <laughs> <laughs> you have to reorient this entire conversation back onto platonic friendship. To, to, to your texting point, I think it burns me because when you're texting someone, it's totally reasonable to take six minutes to respond. And so <laughs> I just always come back with the funniest possible thing. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. it's like you get in person and you're like, we're doing this in real time. I have to well, respond I hope to you, you right like now. This. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So it was called, I think, the Cheetah Girls World One. And it was about <laughs> the Cheetah Girls going through the first world of Super Mario. Oh, is, I think it was right Cheetah Girls World One. And it's about the building that they put up to replace the Twin Tower. Oh, for sure, for I sure. Think. That makes sense. The, um, let me see. I might have another one. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it was called. I think it was called the Cheetah Girls World One, and it was a, a movie entirely about those people from the Cheetah Girls One who had that song about it being all around the world. Good one. It was Good like one. A, it was like a spinoff mm-hmm. movie about Jackal Johnson and his crew. <laughs> It's a, a terrible misreading of what we were interested in in the Cheetah Girls universe. You know, but the Cheetah Girls were so hot, they said, let's try it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, He's so che- what did we think of the Cheetah Girls One World? So I, I don't remember a single thing about the novelization, but here's my main impression of the film. The songs are amazing. Mm-hmm. And the best songs that were have been in the entire trilogy. Like, maybe not the choreography and whatnot, but I was like, this feels like a real movie musical to a degree. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like without 
Raven Simone, the, the they were just totally at sea story wise. That the characters, yes, I understood what conflict they were having, but she was bringing uh, acting chops to it that I was not appreciating because when they were gone, I thought, you know, this drama isn't playing for me. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I felt like it was this total kangaroo effect of like a song is happening. I'm so into it. They're talking again. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, I mean, I do think, like, there's a reason that Raven Simone has had a further career over these other girls, and it's that she's a better actress. It is wild to see people, like, jump from properties that are on TV to, like, try to do something else, and then sometimes they do just fully disappear. And you're like, oh, it didn't work. So, like, Dominic West from The Wire, he takes a year off The Wire, right? He's like, I'm gonna become a movie actor. Oh, boy. Yeah. He shows up. I mean, obviously now, these days, he shows up in movies sometimes. Back then, 2001, he tries to do it, or 2007, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, like, the only movie role I can think of from that era is him as a guard in The Phantom Menace. Not huge. Not a huge win for him. Yeah. And then he comes back to The Wire. So. I mean, this is like when Dan Stevens was like, I'm leaving Downton Abbey, kill my character. And everyone was like, this is a huge mistake. Look at you. You're not a movie star. You can't go be in movies. Sure. And the fact that he has successfully ended up in movies and also back on television, I'm really impressed. And I was totally surprised that he pulled it off. He's amazing. I love He's him great. so much. I, I watch him. The Guest all the time. Oh, that movie rocks. That's such a good movie. One of the best. Did you see that the director of The Guest, it's a crumb, we're just talking about whatever. Did you see <laughs> that the, the director of The Guest posted a, th- a soundtrack that they had made for the second movie? Yeah, a fake second movie, yeah. Yeah, with a with a fake poster that looked rad. So rad. I mean, it that was first like movie Mike is Micah Monroe so... with like some sort of like satanic imagery. <laughs> yeah. That first movie is so rad. It is such a like star moment for Dan Stevens where suddenly you're like, oh, he can do anything, actually. He's so compelling and hot and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I would watch Seven, The Guests, where that character is like, he's a good guy. He's a bad guy. We're flip-flopping. <laughs> we're having fun with it. Like, I would, I would love it. I would love it. It's one of my... It exists in a genre that I love. It exists in, like, a story trope that I love. It's so fucking good. It's also, like, maybe the best... Leland Orser performance. I forgot. As the, oh, as, as the, dad. the dad. Yeah, I he's forgot that so was Leland Orser, funny. who I like. He's so, so funny. And his, yeah. like, he, the way that he hates Dan Stevens when he first shows up, and then the <laughs> moment that Dan Stevens shows any, like, broy tendencies, he's like, this guy's my best friend. <laughs> that whole family is just like, do we trust this guy? Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I think going on this jawline, I'm going to say, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do. I know. And then like Micah Monroe, who's just like, I don't trust him. I continue to not trust him. Oh, those abs, though? I trust him. It's like on paper, the funniest movie in the world. Dan Stevens giving like one of the funniest villain performances I've like ever seen. <laughs> Coupled with that that one moment where the the little brother like gets in trouble at school and Dan Stevens' advice is like, kill him. Yes. Like, kill the bully, yes. kill his family, burn his house down. What are they going to do to you? And I'm like, this is a masterpiece. Anytime he expresses his worldview, there's there's that uh, scene in the bar where he pays for the drinks with a bunch of money. And, and the, the brother's like, wow, you have a lot of money, huh? And he goes, getting money is easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, this guy's like just robbing people. 
constantly. He's killing people and taking their money. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) And he's like, that's morally fine. (laughs) That guy rocks. (laughs) Also morally fine. How to get back. How to get back. (laughs) I know. Uh, We're having fun. Carrying on your girl group after you've lost your lead singer-songwriter. I'm shocked that, like, I'm a little shocked that Galleria wasn't like, you're not allowed to do anything without me, period. Like, it, she yeah. feels like the kind of girl who'd be like, well, if I'm not there, the group is over. Like, it's all or none, right? Which has been the lesson of the past two movies. So the fact that they're really trying to make it work without her um, kind of surprised me. Yeah, we talked about this, I think, in Cheetah Girls too, but it just doesn't make sense as a movie premise because the first two are all about, like, it's all of us or it's nothing. And then in this one, they're just like, she went to college and we respect it. Yep. I mean, obviously, <laughs> it seems like Raven Simone said, I don't want to be in the third movie. I'm not doing it. Right. And they had to, like, wrangle some kind of plot line that didn't involve her and justify why she wasn't there. It feels like maybe it should be, we're going to go to Oxford and we're going to win her back. Like something like that. Uh, And it simply is not that. Or we need to find someone else to fill her shoes. Oh, no one can fill her shoes. We've learned a lesson. And then she's in like one scene at the end. Right. But she's not. That all would require her involvement. (laughs) Right. Which clearly was not going to happen. That seems very obvious. Yeah. I, I've, yeah. I've decided to throw out my idea. I don't think we should go through song by song. Okay. I have yeah, no memory was, of the songs. That was my concept to the listener. I was like, since we don't remember the book, let's just go through song by song. But let's be honest, listener, you didn't watch this movie. You mm-hmm. didn't read this book. Why would Probably you do not. such a thing? Maybe you like the concept of a Bollywood movie, but you're an American and you need um, a way in. And I don't think that this is it. Like, I I remember watching the movie and being like, this isn't Bollywood enough. Like, this isn't... They clearly travel to India and are in Indian locales, and I just don't feel like they're doing anything with it. No. Like, they aren't making the Bollywood version of a Cheetah Girls movie, which I think would be super fun. It's very much like an American Disney Channel movie that happens to occasionally remember that it's in India. I think maybe the fault of this movie is that it tries to double dip on the Cheetah Girls 2 sense of wonder about traveling to a place. Mm-hmm. So in Cheetah Girls 2, they go and they, you know, the guy walks into the cafe with the guitar and they're like, wow, Europe and its boys, we love it. <laughs> and Cheetah Girls 3 kind of does the same thing where they're like, India, it's different. Oh, Indian men are handsome. Oh, you know, we don't know about this culture, all this stuff. It's like, but maybe the move, and I know I'm asking a lot of the Disney Channel here, maybe the move is like the style of the movie is a Bollywood movie. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I wish it was oh, more I'm like that. Oh, I'm just saying what you said? Okay. No, but I, we agree. What's what's happening is that we're, I think we're coming to it from slightly different perspectives, but we agree completely that I wish that stylistically in presentation, it was more Bollywood. It would be so fun to, like, dump these girls into a full Bollywood movie experience. Because they're, they're just basically gawking at Bollywood in this right. movie, as opposed to, like, being in a Bollywood movie. Right. I wish, right. yeah, I wish the movie looked more and felt more like, like, full Bollywood melodrama, color, adventure, whatever. Maybe it should be three and a half hours long, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're both thinking of a very specific movie. No, um, all, all oh my god, Andrew! I don't know how much experience you have with like I Indian don't, but I'm cinema. Gonna, I'm gonna watch the cricket one. 
great. That movie is three and a half hours long. Lagan. <laughs> it's really good. But like um, so almost every Indian movie that you can watch in America. So I, I don't want to make a gross generalization, but I think almost every Indian movie is absolutely over two hours. Most of them are over three hours. Like if you go on Netflix and try and like look at their Bollywood selection or their, you know, there's like seven like filmmaking cultures in India. Mm-hmm. But like all of them are like two and a half hours long. There's like a remake that I recently read about of Run Lola Run, an Indian remake of that movie. Run R- Lola Run is like 80 minutes long. It's like very tight. Mm-hmm. The Indian remake is two and a half hours long. <laughs> so like all of the movies are long. Is RRR very long? Yeah. But I think it is par for the course for Indian cinema. That's also, we're uh, of course speaking of the recent movie, uh, I'm going to get this right. Um, rise, roar, revolt, revolt. I almost said I retreat. So. And I was like, that can't be right. It's <laughs> <laughs> terrible arc for a movie. Right there. They rise, they roar, and then they run the fuck away. <laughs> that would be disappointing for that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least that movie covers so much ground. It does not sure. feel like. Like, it feels like three hours where there's 20 different action sequences. Like, it doesn't feel like it's treading water at any point. I agree. It's also like, um, so the, the musical numbers in the Cheetah Girls are normal two and a half, three minute songs. Mm-hmm. If this was like a full Bollywood, these would be eight or nine minute songs. Yes, yes. And I think we could we could benefit from that. Just like huge, unbelievable. We're just dancing for nine minutes. Like, the, there's no plot advancement happening. We're just having a good time dancing. Right, It'd be fun. I, I, I think it's it, uh, the visual feast aspect mm-hmm. is enticing, you know, because there's a, I'm kind of a, you know, uh, boneheaded in a certain way where like I tend to like movies that it's like, OK, I paid eight dollars. Well, not these days. These days <laughs> I paid like fifteen dollars to see a movie and I like it when I get just a bombastic abrasive experience usually mm-hmm. abrasive. I mean, my all my favorite movies feel like panic attacks. The, so I admire that because like one one issue I have with the current like American art house is that I just personally have no appetite for like uh the souvenir. I can't deal with it. Sure. Cuz it's just too I understand that there's value to what it's doing, but it's it's asking me to do too much. Yeah, I mean, I'm exhausted by being alive, so I need my movies to hype me up or not make me work so hard that I'm, like, more tired by the end of the movie. Right. I, I hear this. I do. I want to I wanna go have a sumptuous, delicious meal at the movie theater. Like, I want to watch something that's pretty and colorful and fun and exciting. Yeah. And maybe doesn't make me think so hard. Like, I, I'm sorry. I can't do it anymore. Yeah, I, I, I can do it. Maybe if like the if if the back and forth in the movie between the characters is is tense, like I am mm-hmm. able to like pick up on like like I like drama. I don't need explosions, but mm-hmm. I think these movies where everyone's emotions are understated are becoming too alien for me. I feel like there were multiple movies within the last Oscar cycle where I was like, I know I should watch that because it's like good and important or whatever, right. but it sounds like a lot of work and like tiring to like really commit to focusing on some of these movies 
I think and I'm the I only person in the world who watched all of Drive My Car and was like, <laughs> I liked it. Three stars. I mean, that's a movie that I just never got to because I was like, I don't have three hours for a movie that's going to force me to think and read and be thoughtful for that long. I don't have the capacity for that right now because being alive is hard. And I'm sorry for that. But there I am. I I think there's also like with long movies and slow movies, there's like a temptation to be like, I invested in it. Thus, I like it. I felt Mm -hmm. very brave coming out of that movie and being like, I did like it. That's a positive response for me. But it's just okay. Like, it's not like, I, I can't. <laughs> may, may I, I say a three hours thing? In it, but yeah, go for it. Um, we can cut this out because I genuinely think people will be mad at me. I went to go see Everything Everywhere all at once. Uh-huh. And it's fine. I liked it. I don't think it's amazing. I don't think it's like the best movie I've seen all year. I think it's fine it's pretty nice i loved it but also it's i i still have like other movies from this year above it and i don't think people will be mad about that because there's a lot of this is not an attack on you but because that movie is so earnest Mm -hmm. and it's so much about like very sappy concepts there, we are already in the thick of an every, everything everywhere all at once backlash. Oh, really? I guess oh, I yeah, haven't for seen sure. any of that yet. That movie is actually bad. Not not okay. People saying like it's bad. Oh, is it's happening. not bad. I mean, it's the sort of thing where like, I like the story. I like the mother-daughter thing. I like the love story relationship of like, mm-hmm. I love a story about falling back in love with your spouse. One of my favorite types of stories. Right. And all of the genre trappings are too much for me. I was tired. Oh, interesting. It's too long, for sure. I think it's a little too long. There was a point when I was like, okay, I get it. We're fighting. I get it. Right. I like watching Michelle Yeoh do this, but like, can we get back to the story <laughs> that I like? Like, yeah. I don't need all the stuff. Like, the trappings, the whatever, the patina of the story. I don't need it. I would be yeah. happy to watch these people stand around and talk to each other in the laundromat. I, I don't need it. I did like that the the something about that movie that all of the bombastic action occur- occurred in what would otherwise be considered like very boring locations. Yeah. It's I mean it's a good movie. It's well made. The performances are good. I don't know. I just like, I think maybe the hype was too high too. Where everyone was like, this is the best movie in the world. And I was like, okay. And then it didn't hit that for me. Sure. I saw my f- my most anticipated movie of the year two nights ago. Oh my gosh. Oh, Sonic 2? Sonic 2. That was three nights ago. <laughs> ah! Sonic 2. Sam- <laughs> Hannah and I have, uh, have exchanged many voice notes about Sonic 2. <laughs> it's a good movie. Similar to Cheetah Girls 3, it's a it's a movie where I was either like, I'm very much enjoying this scene, or I was like, kill me now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Yes. Like, that's a movie where they could Furiosa style just get rid of the main character and do like an Eggman movie. And I'd be like, this is actually the movie I want. Yeah. I mean, we discussed this. But in the same way that Cheetah Girls, you're like, why isn't every scene a song? When Sonic is not with Sonic or Jim Carrey, I don't care. Like, I need, I think I kind of, like, need Jim Carrey to be there doing his, like, a thing that's all basically obnoxious, but yeah. I like it a lot. Um, and that, like, offsets the parts that are so boring. 
that like I like watching James Marsden talk to a non-entity hedgehog and be like, "Hey, fake creature, I love you." But I need in the background Jim Carrey being like, "Oh, brother!" Like I need See, the whole I, thing. I just need the Jim Carrey character. I, I'm okay <laughs> with the other characters, but I need Marsden to be interacting with Jim Carrey. I need you know, mm-hmm. the wife and tails to be interacting with Jim Carrey. It's not, it's when he's off screen, I'm not invested <laughs> in those people. I am invested in cutie, tiny baby tails, you know, like, mm-hmm. the, I mean, we've discussed, I mean, the world has discussed this, but the, when they redesigned Sonic to make him cute instead of terrifying, uh huh, they, they should have gone even cuter. Like, I think they could have gone even cuter <laughs> and it would have been like, improving the quality of the of what i'm watching yeah well i i brought this up with you but my favorite thing about tails in the in sonic 2 is that of course in sonic the game when you're playing as both of them at once and you get super injured tails becomes unconscious (laughs) and it's just sort of sitting there unconscious until you get enough rings and it's like a major plot point in Sonic 2 that Tails gets knocked out and is just sort of like sitting there almost asleep. And they're freaked out about how that's medically concerning. They're like, why is yeah. he unconscious but also like breathing and it's going on for a really long time? Yeah, and then he's like, I'm okay now. And you're like, good, Tails. We love it. I love But the, I love the movie that I was most excited for was The Northman. Oh, which I, you would be. I would be. I wasn't so crazy about it. Mm, I, I know that I'm you sorry. haven't seen this movie yet, but it's I it's haven't. it's uh it's what I thought I would like. It's like wall to wall chaos and violence, and uh, it just didn't land for me. It's too it's like too much. I was very very tired. Yeah, I get the sense that I'm not gonna love it, but my mom really wants to see it, so I think we're <laughs> gonna go see it at some point. Um, and then probably we'll have to have a conversation that was like, hmm, what did we think of that? <laughs> Also, let's talk about the AMC Dolby Theater. I know you used to be <laughs> I know you used to be an AMC member, right? Yeah, I miss it. I miss it every day. And you've gone to the Dolby. Yes. Okay. What do you think of the Dolby? I don't think it's a meaningfully better experience at all. Interesting. I do like it, mm-hmm. but mostly because it is actually loud enough to not hear the people talking near me. Fair. I do wish movies were louder these days. I think yeah. like Uh, I've gotten used to like, for some reason, movies are weirdly, they're quiet in movie theaters. And Mm -hmm. then I went to see RRR, which is loud as hell. We we talked about this. Which we talked about. It is not just, I mean, it must be something about the film because we experienced it in separate cities. They must just be projecting it louder somehow. Because Maybe it comes with instructions that are like, turn it up, sucker. Like, I hope so. It's I, loud. I, I went to see X like a month ago. Mm-hmm. And the, as we we're walking into the theater, we were hearing the loudest movie you've ever heard playing next door. And someone walked in and was like, I don't know. It's some really violent thing about a castle. And then a month later, I went to see Rise, Roar, repeat and um, (laughs) and i was like oh this is the movie for sure that was playing next to x it's so goddamn loud but even going to see ambulance a movie that should be very loud i was like this isn't Uh loud enough crank it up i want to be like deafened by these car crashes yes i will say that the projection so i like the dolby theater Mm because these days just to sound like an old man these days there's always someone talking at the movies yeah and 
it is loud enough to drown them out. But I will say, I brought a friend to see the Northmen. And right away, we were like, this is too fucking loud. Oh, man. Ethan Hawke was like talking at the beginning of the movie. And I was like, this hurts. Like, I couldn't believe that they were like allowed to do it. And that movie is just a a swift two hours, 25. Of like the loudest dialogue in the world. I just, and then there are so many action sequences. I felt like I had been run over by a truck when that movie ended. That movie is like Ur Hamlet, right? Well, like explicitly. I brought that spoiler in uh, with me because of you, and and it's kind of true. Who knows? I don't really know what you mean by that. Are you saying that it's a it's it's a true story that predates Hamlet? Well, what I mean is that Hamlet, Shakespeare's Hamlet, is basically a riff on a pre-established story that existed that scholars mm-hmm. call the Ur Hamlet that we as a culture have lost a written version of, which okay. is basically the revenge tale of my uncle killed my dad and married my mom, and I'm going to do something about that. The big difference, and I think it, I think it's a really interesting choice, minor spoilers for the Northmen, skip ahead if you don't want to hear, but the big <laughs> difference is that the setup's exactly the same, and then when he comes for revenge, his uncle has already been like dethroned and is oh. like kind of a lowly sheep farmer. Interesting. It is. It actually is like a way more interesting choice. I mean, I don't want to talk about Hamlet right now, which I could forever. Um, I think it's beautiful that Ethan Hawke gets to be King Hamlet after being Lil Hamlet. Yeah, that's fun. That is a fun point. That's a great point. I like that. We got to get back to the Cheetah Girls. (laughs) It's really nice. Yeah, now we just need uh, Sarsgaard to play King Hamlet in like 20 years. Yeah, that would be great. He He would be... I think he is better suited to play a King Hamlet in Shakespeare's Hamlet, a character who, you know, is a ghost only than right. little Hamlet. <laughs> like I, I, here's my one, here's my one take on Shakespeare's Hamlet. If I was casting Shakespeare's Hamlet, I would cast Hamlet as a jock. I think he should be kind of a jock. So the maybe Sarsgaard would be, yeah. Yeah. Like a guy who like um, went to college and like plays a lot of tennis and doesn't study very hard. And then has to come back and, like, handle a lot of heavy stuff. That's how I would cast it. So maybe Alex would be good. Maybe he would be really good. I think we should let anybody who wants to do Shakespeare do Shakespeare. <laughs> anyway, Cheetah Girls, not Shakespeare at all. Not Shakespeare at all. I challenge you. I put this to you. Can you remember a single plot that one of the girls has that's specific to her? Like, I, I, I can remember their, like, emotional plot lines that, like... Chanel wants to date the director but doesn't think it's professional or appropriate and so is kind of keeping him at an arm's length but they're friendly and the other girls interpret that as romance and that she's using it to get the role. Right. I remember that. When in fact she's demonstrating incredible restraint. Yeah, because he's cute. Yeah. I mean, I remember that Aqua's plot is she is dating this guy who she really likes who goes behind her back to get her the role and she has to say, like, that's not how this relationship is going to work. I don't want that. You got to treat me with a little more agency and respect. Yeah. And he's like, oh, sorry, sister. I love you. I'll follow you to Columbia. <laughs> Which I love for them. It's cute. So obviously there's not a fourth movie. No. Maybe the series falls apart, not due to lack of interest. I mean, maybe there was lack of interest. Maybe the ratings were bad. <laughs> maybe it falls apart because what's the next movie? 
Yeah, I mean, there's only so many times you can be like, we're on the verge of success. This is the thing that's going to get us success. Oh, it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. But that's okay because we're still friends. Like, I think you can only do that so many times where I think a fourth one would have to be, we have achieved massive success. And what do our lives look like now? One of the most frustrating tropes to me is when a story is defined by I want success or I want a certain thing, and the writers seem obsessed with the idea that in order to be interesting, they can never get it. I think you could evolve this idea to be like, the Cheetah Girls are an international sensation. That comes with its own problems. Yeah. But for whatever reason, they don't try it. So, like, just Mm -hmm. a couple examples that have infuriated me in pop culture. Arrested Development. Yes. It, It would actually be funnier by the time you're at, like, seasons four or five if Tobias was a successful actor. It'd be pretty funny. They keep just being like, he's trying, he's failing. And it's like, yeah, but I don't know. Like, maybe there's a market for this guy and maybe maybe that has its own plots, you know? What else was I thinking? Oh, the the entire premise of Silicon Valley is like they've invented something that's essentially magic and yet they still can't be successful. And it's like, that doesn't make sense. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of examples. But yeah, I also want people to succeed, actually. Watching continual failure is a real bummer. Oh, here we go. No, I'm, this is this is just because like this is rattling in my brain and has been forever. I just finished rewatching How I Met Your Mother. Uh huh. A show about wanting something really badly. <laughs> then he gets it, and then the last four minutes of the show, they take it away and try to replace it with a different thing that you've been told for eight seasons is not good. Right. And it's unbearable. <laughs> I mean, I know that like when that show ended, everyone was furious. And mm-hmm. rightly so. I am still, again, furious. I had forgotten how infuriating it is. Do you ever run into How I Met Your Mother fans? I don't really watch it, but have you ever run into people who are like, I love that ending? No. Okay. A, no, never in my life have I met someone who was like, I love that ending. Two, most people at this point don't mention that show as like a good sitcom, even though it's right. good and funny. Um, and generally, I think the take is that the main character is insufferable and does not deserve happiness, which I disagree with. Do you have that instinct where, like, if you don't watch a TV show and something controversial <laughs> happens, you still want to, like, read about it to understand what subversion occurred or whatever? <laughs> I didn't watch any of Game of Thrones. Okay. But I read so much about it because I wanted to be part of the conversation and understand what was going on. I also have not watched Game of Thrones. The thing I find funny about it is that everyone hates the last season, but as a guy who has not watched Game of Thrones, no matter how much I read about it, I can't understand why. I'm not sure I know either. The The girl sleeps with the guy and then it's revealed that he's her nephew and people didn't like that. That Well, that's the funny <laughs> thing about like a fantasy setting is people will be like, yeah, the ogre was a cyclops. And you're like, and that's bad to you? Sounds okay. We've watched a show that predicates on incest for five seasons or whatever, and now you're mad about it? I, I want the listener to understand that I, I, I do under I do comprehend the complaint about like Game of Thrones being sped up. So that <laughs> sure. like things that w- took a while to pay off suddenly were like being fast forwarded. I get that. I just don't understand any dynamic or what people were expecting to get and what they didn't get. Yeah, I mean, there's a very fine line between having your expectations met and being disappointed 
having your expectations subverted and feeling satisfied and having your expectations subverted and feeling bad about it. Right. Like, it seems hard to manage as a showrunner or a writer or whatever. And you never know when people are going to be like, oh, no, not that. Definitely not that. Even when you sometimes are like, I thought I wanted that. I got it. And I didn't want it. (laughs) We live in like a an era where people just know too much about how the sausage is made, right? So mm-hmm. well, a theory I have, and I, I promise this is related to what you were saying. It sounds like okay. I wasn't listening to you, but I no, was. No, it's okay. You don't have to listen to me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is just two uh, monologues running concurrently. <laughs> um, but I, I think that when people hear that a movie had reshoots, they go into it and assign anything that's not perfect to it's disjointed because it had this like creative disruption. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think if you went into a movie that had reshoots, not knowing it had reshoots, you either would be like, that's not the best choice ever, but whatever, or you might straight up like it. I mean, I, the concept that reshoots are bad. Yeah. Inherently is not correct. Like, almost every movie in the world has some amount of reshoots just because you get into the editing room and realize, like, ah, I need one more take of this. Sure. I need a little something different. This isn't fitting together like I thought it would. We need to go back and get a little additional stuff. Like, that's so unbelievably normal. <laughs> and these days we read, like, you read, ah, oh, there's reshoots. It's like, I guess the movie sucked and they tried to fix it. Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> I think Rogue One was the big one where people were yeah. like, it's bad because they tried twice. And you're like that. Well, it's good. First of all, if it's a good movie. D- it's a good movie. <laughs> and, um, but I, it, all that to say, I think people try to assign a lack or a disruption of intentionality to like mm-hmm. every creative mistake. So, and sometimes they're right. Like the thing that's that's upsetting about How I Met Your Mother. I assume. Is I mean, that it, can I convince you to watch a nine-season sitcom? No, you can't. <laughs> Is, or every is, season is like 23 episodes? Do, isn't the the friction that it feels like the entire show is moving in one direction, but actually it forces you in another at like the last moment? Yeah. I mean, in hindsight. So like that's exactly how it felt watching it live. It was mm-hmm. like, we're heading towards one thing. We're heading towards one thing. In the last four minutes of the show, they veer into a direction that you thought we were done with forever. Right. In hindsight, it's pretty clear that they're setting up the veer through the whole show like the end goal the end point is is pretty like the show obviously was always going to end up there Mm -hmm. but it fucking sucks it's just the wrong choice and at some point you have to abandon what you thought you were going to do for what you actually should do Mm -hmm. and yeah like the just to if you don't mind so like You have eight seasons of this guy being like, I want to fall in love. I want to get married. He's not finding the right people. Ups and downs. Whole fucking rigmarole. Right. The last season, they introduce the woman he's going to marry. And she has a parallel plot line, basically. So you get to know her Mm -hmm. over the course of the season. And she's amazing. And we love her. And she's Kristen Milioti. And it's amazing. Right? Right. When they finally meet. And those flash forwards, you're like, oh, and their relationship is really good. And here's how their future plays out. And it's so nice, right? (laughs) It's great. They finally meet. And you're like, oh, yay. The title of the show has been, you know, here we are. How I I, Met Your Mother, you met her. Now I know how. And how nice. Like, they are (laughs) well-suited to each other. This is obviously, like, he's grown to a place where he's, like, 
ready to genuinely commit to someone and be in love. She is a perfect fit for him and like they just are good. And then in the last four minutes, they're like, oh, by the way, she died. And now he's going to go back to dating the girl from the pilot. And you're like, no, come on. The whole yeah. point was that it wasn't her. Right. And so like, yeah, it's really frustrating that they really do a great job of giving you a woman that you're like, yeah, he should be with this woman that you've just introduced me to who's wonderful. Like you've set up all the pieces to be good. And then they're like, no, but what if he dated the girl who's wrong for him? What right. if he ended up with her? And you're like, ah! It's yeah. it's so, I'm sorry, it's genuinely infuriating. It's so frustrating. It's funny that you spent like a hundred hours rewatching a show that you knew was going to piss you off at the end, and then you <laughs> you got really riled up. I mean, I really kind of was like, because it, it was a show that like, I really I really like it. When it was airing, I rewatched it pretty regularly. It ended with this bad ending, and I never touched it again for like 10 years. Jess came back to it. I got tricked again. Eight and a half seasons of like, yay, this is great. I'm having a good time. Four minutes of it's ruined. I hate it. I'm frustrated. Sorry, I got a text saying that I'm, you know, someone I know might have COVID. So I'm just oh, rethinking dear. my whole life. Yeah, um, totally. I'll be fine. Good. Unless I'm not. Oh, God, please be okay. Um, that I'll feel really bad being like, well, the last conversation we had before Andrew got very sick from COVID and succumbed was me ranting about a show that's been off the air for 10 years. <laughs> that nobody cares about or wants to talk about anymore. Yeah, I hope the listeners are happy that they're basically just getting a, a like a one of our catch up calls as an episode. <laughs> yeah, it's fun hanging out. You know, the the girls of the Cheetah Girls like to chit chat and hang out too. So we're just, you know, we're it's an immersive theater piece that we're doing. Absolutely, this is as if you are the third Cheetah Girl listener. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to think of like what in this, <laughs> what in cheetah? Because like I have little folded down markers, but I don't think any of these are that interesting. I mean, yeah, I think that the, I wish that Cheetah Girls One World was more like a Bollywood movie. I think that would be really fun and a fun way to introduce Disney Channel viewers to a culturally different style of cinema would be a cool move on Disney's part. It's not. I wish that they under had. I mean, the problem is that Raven, Simone, and Galleria are like the driving force of the Cheetah Girls, and so without them, the other three girls are just like fine. We're happy, healthy, and safe. You know, like the it doesn't pay. There's no good drama. The drama between the side characters is like fine. It is nice to undercut the sort of codependent atmosphere of the first two films. Mm -hmm. You know, I, the the idea of like we'll always stick together is nice, but it isn't the way life works. You have like a oh we've kind of discussed this on a previous episode. I was okay. going to ask if if you have like a a friend group because I feel like uh, uh, not like this. Well, there's been so many times in my life where you start something out like school or something, and you're like, oh, this group will last, and it's fucking never the people you think. I mean, I think I feel like when I went to college, people told me, like, you're going to make friends your first week of college, and you will then, after your first semester of college, never speak to those people again. Interesting. Like, your best friends the first month of college, eventually you, like, settle into your major, you start taking classes on stuff you're actually interested in, you know, you, like, find your actual people, and that first set of people you abandon because they were just, like, there and you needed someone. They're, like, your dorm mates, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. Like, there, you go to a new place or you're starting a new thing and you just, like, glom onto someone because you need a friend and they need a friend. And then eventually you realize, like, 
there's other people doing this thing that fit me a little better. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of move your separate ways. And that's pretty normal, I think. Kind of makes this movie seem sad, actually, now that it seems like mm. they're just like, you know, holding on to each other for dear life. I mean, I, I kind of feel like, so at the end of Cheetah Girls One World, they like all get to be in the movie and it's fun and they end on a note of like, yay, friendship. I assume it's because they thought there might be another one of these and you didn't want to finish anything. But I would kind of prefer if at the end they were like, yeah, well, like, Dorinda's going to stay and, like, intern with the choreographer and, like, right. develop a career as a choreographer. That's what... Right. And they, like, fully split to, like, pursue their separate passions because they are able to. <laughs> this is sort of the issue with these movies is that they're all in on the group idea Mm-hmm. We're a group, we're inseparable, but then they're also really invested in the individual plots and the individual plots, because they're about people at like an inflection point in their lives who are learning more about themselves, are pulling them apart. Yeah. And, and also, the second movie, weirdly, is like, they're kind of drifting apart because of their personalities, which is bad. And it's fine, actually. It's, it's actually good, fine. maybe. Yeah. I know. I mean, I the... So in the movie, when they audition, all three of them just audition with a song together, right? Another Mm -hmm. instance of acting doesn't actually matter, high school musical style. You're going to sing a song, and that's your audition. In the book, they do three separate things as their auditions. Yes, yes. So Dorinda dances, Chanel sings, and Aqua acts. She does an acting scene. Yeah. Which is apparently very good. (laughs) Which rocks. (laughs) And I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it would be, if I could go back and say, like, let's make some changes to Cheetah Girls 3, it would really be to be like, at the end, they have to go their separate ways and realize that doesn't make their friendship less valuable. It doesn't make their experience as Cheetah Girls less valuable. It's just time to do different things. Right. And that's actually, like, if they can support each other while doing different things, that actually makes your friendship stronger. And I think the the sad thing about this movie, it did make me a little sad. I, I think <laughs> the reason is that it's a movie about let's stick together, let's make our dreams come true. But the stench of like maybe it's time to move on is on the movie itself. Yeah, good point. I agree. And so watching it is like, it just feels inherently disingenuous or like they really believe it, but it's a little sad that they believe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a point where like they make their wishes and tie their wishes to the tree. Mm -hmm. And then later Chanel's like, well, I thought we all made the same wish to be super famous. And the other two girls are like, no, we did not. We no longer have the same dreams actually, which is, I mean, they play it off as kind of a like, ha, huh, funny. They they didn't talk to each other, but it's sad. It's a little sad to be like, I thought we were all on the same page. We are so not on the same page. And now we're going to keep pretending we want the same thing for another half hour of movie. Right. I mean, every birthday I wish that Authorized would hit it big. You're doing the same <laughs> thing, right? Oh, uh... <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've had a birthday during doing Authorized, so... That can't be true. When did we start? Like, April of last year. Really? Yeah. Time flies, man. I barely remember having a birthday last year, so... Who knows what I was up to. Hannah Blegman. Yeah! In the 
format, the authorized crumb, you are only allowed to say a hard or soft recommend or do not recommend for the book and the film. So how about that film? Soft, no. Okay. And how about that ah, book? (laughs) Hard, no. Not worth it. It's okay. I mean, like, we talk about how the first one is, like, actively poorly written. The second one is, like, much richer. This one's somewhere in the middle. But I don't think it's, like, fantastic. I don't remember mm-hmm. being, like, wowed by it. Andrew? Hi. Cheetah Girls 3. Book? Book's a hard do not recommend. It's Movie. Just, movie's a hard do not recommend. <laughs> that, like, I'm not saying it's, like, dog shit. But if we consider that there's four ways to rate them, strong recommend, soft recommend, strong do not recommend, soft do not recommend. This is in the bottom quartile of novelizations. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. that's true. So, yeah, it's just a movie that probably shouldn't have existed. I I give them credit. I mean, you just hope when things like this happen. You're like, what if we do a three Cheetah Girl movie and, like, the chemistry of the three of them is actually this thing and it really captures audiences' attention? And the, the fact of the matter is they are all strong and... Together as a trio, they're just not, they don't got it. Except musically. The, the music. I mean, rules. the music is good. The dancing is good. Like, I just mean narratively. There's, yeah, I, no, I, I agree. It's not, it's not a tense film. And when I say tense, I don't want it to be, you know, a Safety Brothers film. I just want it, I, when I say tense, I just mean like that I'm really invested in the conflict between them. Yeah, it does feel like they basically wanted to write out Raven, Simone, and then like not have to think about it ever again. When it right. feels like what you actually need is like, how do we do this without her? And then they figure out how to do it without her, maybe. To our listeners, rate the podcast, review it, subscribe to it, please. Because of this kerfuffle with me, my organization going totally out the window, I've just straight up messed up the crumbs. So <laughs> you got a crumb for the movie that's coming next week, last week. And now this one, I guess, is two away. No one spoke. There was nothing to say. The key man walked into the room and pulled off his protective headgear. He knelt down next to Elliot and sighed. Is he dead? Gertie finally asked. I think so, Mary said. What could that possibly be? It's E.T. It's it's a good episode. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Okay. Good night. (laughs) 